Welcome to the Folsom Frenzy Podcast. My name is Jake. I'm here with Soraya's Topher and Chase. And we're coming off a heartbreaking loss to Stanford in overtime. Uh, this week uh, on the podcast, we're going to talk about that Stanford loss and then also talk about the CU basketball program, the scrimmage, and also the recent commit that Tad brought in. But before we do that, uh, if you guys could all subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, also give us a five-star rating. We'd appreciate that. Also hit the follow button on X, YouTube, Instagram, and anywhere and everywhere that you can find the Folsom Frenzy podcast. But with that, guys, I'm just going to open it up to to the group. Let's just vent. What are you guys' thoughts on that heartbreaking loss for Stanford? Long sigh. What else? How else can you start talking about that game without the long sigh? Man, oh, man. Being there, first half, amazing. Felt like the flip of all of the Pac-12 games we had last year where we, so we being Stanford in this case, are getting dominated on both sides of the ball and have basically played ourselves out of the game. And then the second half was like the 2018 Oregon State game, almost to a T. And the, the worst part about it is I feel so traumatized as a, as a CU fan, having seen so many of these types of losses now. I mean, in my time being a, a season ticket holder, so I wasn't at Kansas in 2010 when they when Dan Hawkins left Cody in the, in the game and, and they blew the 45-17 lead in the fourth quarter. But I remember watching it and being devastated and so excited they fired Dan Hawkins after that. And then I was at the 2018 Oregon State game where they were up 31 to three in the third quarter. And just you could feel the momentum shift, that sinking feeling that everything was going wrong and things were falling apart. Yesterday, as soon as Stanford, it was really the second touchdown that did it for me. It was when they made the game 29 to 12 that I said, oh, no, it's happening. It is happening. Something something flipped here. Our offense stalled out very quickly on our first two drives in the third quarter, and Stanford offense was absolutely destroying our defense. Said, uh-oh. And there were there were some cracks. So in that Oregon State game, there were some cracks that were forming early where the Oregon State was moving the ball. And St- Stanford wasn't really moving the ball, but they did miss some wide open. I mean, there was one play. This is kind of crazy. It's kind of uh, uh, pre-cluded. Uh, what happened or are forewarned what happened with uh, Alec Iomayor or Iomayor. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I don't want to ever think about his name again. <laughs> uh, the, the wide receiver that had almost 300 yards. There was one play where he was just absolutely wide open and had a walk-in touchdown and Stanford's QB overthrew him. I think it was in the first or second quarter. So we got away with that one. And then in the second half, it just all completely fell apart. It was sickening. And there's no other way to really put it. I, I know I'm, I'm talking a lot here, guys. One of you guys step in. Um, it is hard. Yeah. So I just want to read some stats here. Colorado had a 99.7 probability of winning at halftime. This is the largest blown lead in Colorado history, dating back to night 1890. This is also the largest halftime deficit overcome to win in Pac-12 history the fourth largest comeback in Pac-12 history, 
and the largest comeback in Stanford history. That wide receiver that you mentioned, Trace, I think number 13, Alec A.O. Manor. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but he had zero catches at halftime. And he finished with 13 catches, 294 yards, which is the second most in Pac-12 history, just in one half of football, and also three touchdowns. And just heartbreaking. I just wanted to share those stats for the listener to put this all into perspective. Chase, what are your thoughts? Yeah, thank thank you so much for those statistics, Jake. I'm sure that made everyone feel a lot better. Um, <laughs> I, you know, for me, I think there were two moments. So first of all, what a what a phenomenal first half and i i i know we were we're bummed and all that kind of stuff but what a great first half as far as executing they executed on offense they executed on defense and i don't blame the announcer you know everyone's like the announcers jinx right the announcers going into halftime like before halftime even happened we're talking about how colorado was only going to need one more win to get to bowl eligibility and how you know wins like this you know it, it was done like the, the even the announcers were saying like this game's over um, you know, please stay tuned for our ratings, but otherwise like this game's over and, you know, it's a little disappointing, you know, the fans left at halftime. Um, so, you know, kind of lost the juice there, but for me, the, the two big moments that I remember that really, you know, Sreyas was time out. He, he kind of realized like, Oh, we might be in trouble for me. It was, you know, you get them down on the three yard line and then they get a 97 yard touchdown pass. I think on first and 10, like, I think that was first and 10 when they got that. And that is just so backbreaking and, and blown coverage, right? Like it was just, you know, the, I, the safety missing the tackle, just horrible, horrible play, right? And normally you should be able to to survive that punch, but the the next the the next one that really really bothers me is the penalties were atrocious yesterday. I mean, the penalties were absolutely atrocious, and the worst one was Travis Hunter's. And you know what? Like people might give us slack. It's one of those things where you're never supposed to like criticize Deion Sanders or any of these guys. And we love Travis Hunter and, and he's a, a warrior for going out there and playing, um, you know, maybe before he, he had to um, after that injury, but what a stupid penalty it's fourth and forever, you know, third down, you get the stop it's fourth and forever. You're not even in the play. You're like entirely outside of the play and you go and shove a guy when they're down and you know, they're trying to get your attention. You go and shove a guy, give them a 15 yard penalty and they end up scoring the touchdown. It would have been a really long field goal for them. Their, their kicker's phenomenal. So they probably, you know, who knows if they would have gotten it or not from, from where they were, but you give them new life. And we did that constantly. That, that, that was the game too, right? Yeah, That's I, one of, one of the many things that cost the buffs the game really quick chase. The buffs racked up 17 penalties for 127 yards. Just wanted to add that stat. And it's not even, it's not even like, I mean, some of them were pass interference penalties and things like that, which rack up a lot of yards, but an unacceptable number of 12 men on the field. And I, we talked about this in our group chat. I thought that might be because, you know, Travis came back and maybe they weren't sure if he was going to be playing. So people didn't know if they were in, in personnel packages or whatever. But I mean, that's the kind of stuff where I was telling my wife, you know, you, you would be mad if you were coaching a middle school team and they were, if they messed up 12 men on the field and, and, you know, illegal uh, substitutions as frequently as they did. Right. Like you wouldn't tolerate that as a coach in middle school and that cannot happen. And you, you saw Charles Kelly, like beyond beside himself, but frankly, you know, at the end of the day, you're the defensive coordinator. It's your job to make sure that your guys know where they need to be and are not getting those penalties. So it was just, I mean, we want to be defensive of the coaching. I think prime is a a world-class coach, probably one of the best that Colorado's ever had, if not the best, but the end game coaching is crazy. And one, one last thing before I get off my high horse and, and, and hand it over to Topher, 
the one, I cannot believe that we want another coin flip. The the, the probability of this is just insane. Two coin flips. Two coin, coin, I mean, two coin it, make it stop, right? Like, I mean, stop. Colorado has a good history of winning coin flips. I think but that 2016 why? year, they won them all. Why? Yeah. You know what? I would trade all of our coin flip luck for one win ever, you know, like <laughs> literally throughout that entire time. But I, I like, you know, receiving it, whatever you're or kicking off at the beginning of the game. We talked about that last week, how we didn't want to see that. But in overtime, it is such a coaching faux pas to to go first. Twi- like you give up a huge competitive advantage and it finally bit us in the butt in the second overtime. Like that's why you don't do it because you know they have a great kicker and then they just have to run the ball three times and then kick it through the uprights and they win, right? You just can't do that. Like that's a, you put your team in a losing position because of that. And exactly. it's, I'm, I'm tired of it. Like those are things that could be easily fixed. They should not have lost this game. They had so many opportunities not to. And what an absolutely heartbreaking loss that this was. Can we stay on that just really quick, the overtime, deciding to be on offense? Because I've seen on Twitter, some people are confused at why you shouldn't do that. Just let's explain that really quick. But we have to explain this. It it is. It is. Just common sense. It eliminates your team from going for it on fourth down. So if you go second, you know you need to go for it on fourth down to get the touchdown, or you know that all you need is a field goal. Like Stanford, for example, all they knew is they needed a field goal, so they kicked it, I think, on first down after they got the first. So, But Coach Prime did say after that CSU game he wanted to go for it. He wanted to start on offense because he trusts Shador and he wants to put the pressure on the other team, which I could kind of see the argument. But, yeah, you're kind of putting yourself behind the eight ball statistically. And also, you again, there's like – you don't know when you need to go for it on fourth down. And it's, you're just kind of climbing that uphill battle. And there's it's, a difference between confidence and folly. Right. And it, and I think they're like, Oh, well, we're just going to go and take it. And I love that. Like, I love that mentality, but it is making your win probability work. Like you are hurting your team's chances of winning. And that's a coaching decision, right? Like Shador. And what was so painful is he sat there and thought about it. And you know, the camera was right on his face. He took a second to think about it and then still said, we want the offense to go first. And I get that you're confident and you want to just go take it to him, but it is not a smart thing to do. Like Jake said, you don't know if you're going to have to go for it on fourth down. You don't know if a field goal is going to be enough. You're, you're putting yourself in a losing situation. It's even worse when you lost momentum too, because you could argue in the CSU game, they got, they rested the momentum back. But in this game, they very clearly did not have the momentum. That's a good point. So it's just mind boggling. Anyways, Topher, we need to hear from you. Uh, I will toot my own horn her and say I was the only one on the podcast that said this was going to be a dogfight. Okay. I was thinking about this though. It should not have been a dogfight in the first it should half. Not have been I a dog literally fight. in the first half was like Topher is such an idiot for saying that this was going to be a dogfight. <laughs> this game is going exactly how Sam and I predicted. I was about to take my victory lap. I didn't. So keep going, Topher. But I just want to say. Um, so you know that didn't second you say half it would was... be a dogfight if Travis didn't come back, or am I? Uh, yeah, I was like, I co- I'm confident that Tra- if Travis plays, that we cover the spread. But I think it was going to be a dogfight. And in the first half, Travis played like we expected him to play. In the second half, he got tired. We got tired. And that was a big contributing factor, I think, to a lot of the mistakes. Like there was a lot of coaching mistakes. There was a lot of decisions that led to our demise that compounded. But at the end of the day, Travis was gassed. And that's part of the reason why a, an inferior talent was able to expose him um, on defense. Um, I, you know, when you're watching in the stands and you're watching this catastrophe happen, um, that you could feel the anxiety in, within the crowd, and there was also there was also a lack of energy leading up to the game that I noticed as well. Right, like I pulled into Boulder at around like four thirty ish, 
there were parking lots still open. There wasn't a bunch of tailgaters. It was like a 95%, you know, CU fans. Like there's like four Stanford fans in the entire globe. And I think all of them were there. So, but it, there was definitely not the same type of energy that you would expect for a Friday night game in Boulder. Um, just a, a lot of contributing factors. I think we going into this bye week, we have to get healthy. Um, we have to get refocused and we have to take a hard look in the mirror um, with those coaching decisions. I think Sean Lewis coached a terrible second half. I think Charles Kelly coached an awful God, awful second half. And once again, our special teams failed, right? Like Mata kicking a 46 yarder. That is the edge of his range, the very edge of his range. And it was a high snap that delayed the kick. I don't think that makes a huge difference um, as far as that high snap because the holder was still able to get it down. It was still a smooth, smooth contact. I don't think you should have sent Mata out there to kick that. I think that's a feely range type of kick. I think 45 plus got to be feely. 45 in, you can use Mata. Um, so I don't really agree with that call either. Um, but just, I, I, I dream about a time when I don't have to talk about the, the buffs being in history for bad reasons. Ugh. And... Today is just one of those days. And um, I sent this in a Snapchat to a whole bunch of people, but being a bus fan feels like being in an abusive relationship where they show you hope. They show you that we've changed our losing ways. We are going to start winning. We have, we're making moves in the right direction. And when you have hope, that's when they crush you again. So um, just really numb from the day. Um, And, you know, win, lose or draw, I'm still going to be wearing the black and gold, but God, this one sucks. Yeah, I will say I think it's different this time around. We have Deion Sanders, and he's a guy I'm not going to bet against. So I do think the, you know, the bus bad times are ahead of us. There's something different about this loss than like the Oregon State loss, for example. We know we have a bright future ahead of us. But Tover, I think you hit the nail on the head with the coaching. Like I think all three coaches are are to blame, um, in big part for this loss. All three being Sean Lewis, uh, Coach Kelly, and Coach Prime. Um, yeah, like there were mishaps on on both sides of the ball. We talked about the whole overtime thing. Um, one big thing that I think needs to be discussed is the second half. They were up twenty nine to zero, and they only ran the ball five times. Five times. When you're up by that much, you don't want to play fast. You don't want to do your typical Sean Lewis. Let's snap the ball with thirty seconds left on the play clock, which they were doing. You need to get the play clock down to ten. They, they were doing that, that on their last thing, drive too. I was like, did, we snapped the ball at 20 seconds. Why are we snapping the ball with 20 seconds left? If how many of those runs? One simple thing. They would have won the game. They would have won the how game. How many of those, Jake, how many of those runs were on that final drive too, where they get, gave the ball to Dylan Edwards? I think they ran the ball at least three or four times in that final drive. So why did Hankerson have more yeah, touches? Out of this, the five. Oh all my right, God. All right. All right. I will serve as devil's advocate here since you guys are all preaching to the choir. I completely disagree. I I understand why we did not run the ball a lot, and here's why. And I under, also understand why we kept up tempo. When we run tempo, you guys may have noticed this, our successful offensive drives throughout the entire first half and our successful offensive drives in the second half are when we run tempo. We are more successful. We, we are run a better tempo team. all the time. We are we a better team when we know there, there were a couple drives in the second half where we got three and outs and, and, and got stopped because we were not running tempo. This offense has to exploit people by just going fast because your linemen are not big enough. Your offensive linemen are not big enough 
to run 35 seconds off the clock, let the defensive line catch their breath, and then try to pass protect or or run block. But we the way we beat people in a Sean Lewis offense is you have to keep the tempo going. So I don't mind the idea of running tempo and trying to stay fast if you're going to commit to running the offense and trying to score and just shove it down their throat, which is what I think we should have done. But to your guys' point, you can run more in that in that running gun offense, right? Like you can do those draw plays and you can get, um, you know, honestly, to, to Topher's point, Hankerson should have run the ball more. I, I agree. Like he is a stud. He's got the size. Dylan Edwards can get some nice he's, runs on the on he's the periphery. Not between the tackles, but I swear to God, I, I mean, if they Long, if they run Dylan small. Edwards right behind the guard again, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose my mind because he's just not that. And it's okay that he's not that kind of guy. Like he's just not that kind of running back. But I agree. Like we should have run the the ball more. But you can't like if your entire offensive identity and what works for you is this high speed offense, which is what Sean Lewis. That's why you hired Sean Lewis, right? If you don't want that, Sean Lewis is not the offensive coordinator to run the offense. And I understand why we wanted but to slow things down. You need to adjust that game plan when you're up twenty nine to zero. But well, I don't I think our it offense, didn't work in the second. Our half. offensive line cannot. Our offensive line is not talented enough to run a slow pound you in the mouth offense. That's just not who they are. Well, we don't have the talent for that. Let's run a no huddle so we can't, they don't sub, but we sit there and wait until there's like 15 to yeah. 10 seconds on the play clock. So then they're not subbing and they have to be in a three point, four point stance all the time. Like maybe you catch your breath, but you're not getting snaps off, right? That's the way to run a tempo offense that still puts the, the defense on the heels and burns clock. And we weren't doing that. Yeah. Here, I'm I, just saying like, I understand why, you know, cause you think about, and, and I made this, this point earlier, but you think about the Oregon state loss and the reason we lost the Oregon state game five years ago for people who have been fans long enough to remember that game is we totally took our foot off the gas. Like we had things that were working and then we got afraid and tried to run the clock out for 30 minutes. And you just can't like, you have to, if you have an offense that is working, you got to stick with it and just keep scoring points. Cause this offense is really talented. I understand like, you know, hindsight being 2020, they could have run more time off the clock um, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was a huge lead. You can probably sit on it, but I, I, I understand why they want to keep the aggression up and, and really quickly, you know, I know, I know Jake has a point he wants to make, but I, I do want to mention Carter Stoutmeyer should have been benched. Like he was horrible that game. He was horrible that game. And I don't understand, and, you know, what's going on with Coach Cormani. Prime. On the I mean, what's, what's Can we going talk on about with... Carter Stoudemire yelling at coach yeah. prime on the sidelines when he's a true freshman yelling yeah. at a hall of fame DB. <laughs> I got to ask, like, what, what is going on with Cormani where, you know, because I, you know, I understand the argument Cormani can't, can't guard the the inside slants. Right. But neither can stop Stoutmeyer. So I, I don't understand why you don't try to change things up when your defense is getting absolutely eviscerated. And I'm, and, you know, maybe there's like some, some, some other issues behind there. I, I think it's something to look into, but oh my God. And, and frankly, you know, we, we talked about a bad second half from Travis Hunter in the DB Travis Hunter was bad in the defensive uh, first half as well. He was torched, torched in the first half and only ended up getting away with not giving up a touchdown there because the quarterback overthrew him. Right. So like no one played well in our secondary other than maybe, you know, we, we talked about um, how, you know, Sanders didn't have a great game last week. Tackling wise. I thought he laid the wood this week. He, he played would, a lot he better. Was, he was, but it seems like the rest of the team took a note from him because everyone else was arm tackling the entire night. You know, it was just ugly, ugly performance across the board. Sorry, I need to go back to the run versus pass at the end. At the end, there, um, just wanted to bring up the stats because the running game was working. Dylan Edwards averaged four point seven yards. Alton McCaskill three point eight. Anthony Hankerson only three one. So maybe that's why they weren't weren't relying too much on Hank at the end there. Um, do How you guys know what happened? Have? 
Uh, they each had okay. So Dylan Edwards had seven, Hank had eight, and Alton had six. I'm curious what happened to Alton. Did he get hurt or what? Because I don't know why this coaching staff does not like Alton McCaskill. Maybe he got hurt. Maybe I'm missing something. But he's he looks like the best runner, just pure runner on tape. He had such a beautiful, patient run in the first half that went about ten yards and was slowly behind the offensive line, and they got a good push. I really like what I'm seeing from Alton McCaskill, and like. Dylan Edwards, I think you said this, Topher. He he is not a pass blocking back. Let's stop putting him back to pass block. Sure, you can have him as your third down back, but make him go on a route. If you're gonna have someone drop back to block, put in Anthony Hankerson or Alton McCasco. I just wanted to add that add that point really quick. Yeah, I think Alton. I think the coaching staff is somewhat babying him coming back from the ACL injury. People respond differently to the ACL injury. So I, I haven't had it myself, but having known people, just regular common people, not athletes, uh, rehabbing from it, it just it's a mental thing even, right? You just don't necessarily trust yourself, even if you're medically cleared, even if you've gone through a lot of rehab, it's just a totally different thing. And I think that they have said that. I, I could have sworn that I heard Coach Prime Sailor in a, on a press conference at some point. They're going to try to work him back in a little bit more slowly and probably have him on a, on a snap count. And that's probably what we saw yesterday. Yeah. And he's I, listed as questionable just, just for the rest. So I think, you know, they're probably trying to be careful, get to that bye week get them healthy and then, and then play from there. But it seemed like, I mean, to your point, Jake, and Sreyas, like it, it must've been a, a snap count sort of thing, because I didn't see any hits where I, I thought he would have been too banged up, but regardless, you know, it was working and he's got good size, right? Six, one, 200 pounds compared to Dylan Edwards, who I think is what five, nine, a buck 70. So, you know, b- between McCaskill and Hankerson, there's no question who the better pass blocking, you know, they don't have the upside in the, in the passing game necessarily that Dylan has, but um, definitely got to get that size involved, especially on those short yardage situations. Yep. And then really quick talking about the defense, just because you brought up the secondary chase. Um, one big storyline with this game is you didn't see Juju Mitchell out there, the linebacker for the boss, who's been a stud pretty much all season. He he led the team in tackles, I believe, in that USC game, maybe. CSU um, game. CSU game, thank you. And uh, Brian Howell asked Coach Prime about it at the end of the game, and he his question was, is Juju still with the team? So he knows something happened disciplinary-wise, and Coach Prime said, you need to ask Juju what he did. So there's some some something off the field that he did, which is a huge loss for this team, if, if it is a loss. Um, we'll have to see what develops there. But another key storyline, and it's probably related, is Trevor Woods was not a safety in this game. He was a linebacker. And in the press conference, I think Adam Mustentiger asked, "It was it a matchup thing with Stanford? Why did he play linebacker? And Coach Prime said, no, it wasn't a matchup thing. We like him at linebacker. And Trevor's the kind of guy who will step up anywhere and help the team out wherever. So that's another interesting storyline there. I think they they are pretty talented at safety. So I, I kind of don't mind the move at Trevor Woods coming up at linebacker, but so two two big storylines to watch as well. Yeah, and he's uh, he's built like a linebacker. He hits like a linebacker. I hope he goes to linebacker because I think he could have – I mean, he'd be a great pass-defending linebacker in the NFL. He's got everything you would want as far – maybe he could get a little bit bigger. He, but, needs, to get, he needs to add probably about like 10, 15 pounds. But yeah. like you could do that in an offseason before you go to the NFL. I, I think that's brilliant, and I think it, it's a good fit for him. Um, he's so much better at run fits, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, so – yeah, uh, real quick before Topher goes, my yeah. big frustration was constantly seeing 
very obvious cover zero. Like I'm not even, I'm not a football mind by any means, but I'm seeing, I'm seeing the play play out right in front of me. I see the entire Stanford front seven on the line, ready to blitz. And they didn't like, I never saw use of timeouts. There's never, Oh no, no, this is not good. We need to, we need to make an adjustment here. I can see very clearly what's about to happen. And this is, they blitz, they brought house blitz every third down. It felt like, and in that situation, there was never a safety valve for Shadur. And if there was, that would be the one person that would be covered by the DB. And it played out that way so many times. That fourth down in the third quarter where they had the ball around midfield, I think it was a fourth and one or fourth and two. And uh, Shadur got sacked almost instantly on a cover zero blitz. That's another moment for me. I think I was talking about earlier when I really felt it slip. That was a real moment. It's like, oh no, it's happening. Um, I don't know. I don't know how how that that change how that can change if that's just the way that Charles Kelly operates. There's going to be some hard hard questions being asked in that in coaching meetings and in the locker room over the next couple of weeks during that buy. This buy. Oh God, going into this buy off of this bad taste just feels so terrible. It feels like, oh God, even if we'd found some random way, and I think I did, I did say this in the last podcast, I was predicting that they would cover, but I said, I don't care how, just find a way to win this game. Just find a way. You've been injured all year. This is an opportunity to go into the buy feeling good, go get healthy, You'd be five and two. You go to UCLA. You're going to have a, a more than likely a CU friendly crowd there. And they just, they had it and they absolutely threw it away. Uh, it just, I'm going to keep sighing because I start off this whole podcast with a sigh. It's just hard to not, it's, it's, it hurts a lot, man. It hurts so much. And, and this might work, get people worked up. I actually thought, Shadur Sanders had phenomenal statistics, right? Five touchdowns, 400 yards, uh, interception, you know, whatever. I actually thought this was one of his worst games of the season, and maybe this will be a controversial take. I thought he actually, for the first time this season, especially in the first half, had plenty of time to throw the ball. If he didn't have time to throw the ball this week, it was because they sent the farm to blitz him, right? And I think teams are realizing that our offensive line can barely pick up four pass rushers and often can't, right? So if you send six guys... Shador is going to have zero seconds. And I actually think Shador made some really bad mental mistakes this week in as, as quarterback, right? The, the throwing the ball as like a, a prayer into the end zone that ended up with yeah. that interception was horrible. That's unacceptable, right? Like and to his you, credit in the press conference, he, he knew he was like, that was just a dumb play. Right. But like, you, I mean, that, that's a frustrating mistake. Right. And I think there were times where you could see like everyone knew, especially if you're watching the game, Stanford was sending the house, right? There's no question. And yet he's still like, you know, taking pretty bad sacks and stuff like that. I thought our offensive line played better purely because Stanford's defensive line is not particularly talented, certainly not as talented as some of the other teams we've played this year, but man, it was frustrating to see some, some bad mistakes. However, he did start running more and he's running more and more. And I love it because it, it adds another dimension to your offense. That 38 yard longest run for him was beautiful because it was so there. And often it is there and he's still trying to make a, a throw down field, which is like we've talked about in the past, good for his NFL potential. But you know, sometimes you just got to take the yards when they're there. And that's and, huge because the defense needs to scheme at scheme yeah. on it. Right. Exactly. You gotta have a spy exactly. At that point, you can't bring the house. You got to have some spy, some linebacker chilling there. 
So it's hard for me to say that like the offensive line, you know, a lot of our previous losses, you could be like the offensive line was so abysmal that we never had a chance in that game. I don't, I don't think this was that game. And I think there was some bad mental decisions. We've missed a couple guys that were open in the end zone, you know, and part of that's because he's being flushed out of the pocket. He's, he's running for his life, but not, not Shador's best game, despite having still 400 yards, five touchdowns, right. Which is crazy to say he's, he's so talented. Um, But man, just some bad mistakes that ended up costing us that game. You know, those bad mistakes are one thing. Um, I think Shrey has touched on this. We went for it on fourth and two and fourth and four, um, both in the third quarter. We were on the plus side of the 50, barely, um, both times, and we didn't get it on a fourth and two. And on that fourth and two with 12-17 left to go in the third, uh, we came out in an empty set, right? Which means we had no running backs there. Um, and Stanford had no safeties. Like, like, like Shrey has said, everyone in the stadium, knew that that blitz was coming. So how is it that we have a coaching staff that's supposed to be good at football that didn't see it? A. B, um, Shador kindly kind of said that he just runs the plays that were executed or, or executes the plays that are called, right? So Sean Lewis, if it is fourth and two and you ha- come out in an empty set and it's you see a cover zero, you don't ha- give Shador the ability to check out of it or burn a timeout, or make sure your quarterback's okay. I mean, like, that's 12-17 in the third. So it's the start of the third quarter. We're still up 29 points. I think that's a really stupid place to go for it on fourth down, if I'm being honest, right? Barely the plus side of the 50. Let's pin them deep, right? We didn't get our first drive. That's okay. Let's lick our wounds, come back, reset, be fine. But even then, you come out in an empty set, fine. You have to expect the pressure, and there has to be a hot route. Instead, we run a long-developing mesh concept, and he was – Devon Antonio was open – but he was open at two seconds. Shador was getting hit at one and a half because he has no protection. You're sending six guys. Someone's going to be running free. You have to have a hot route. Um, on the second, fourth, and four, um, again, we're barely on the plus side of the 50. And we didn't get it on fourth and two. This time we actually have a running back. And we run another pass play and we get sacked again. I think these are two examples of just abysmal, abysmal offensive coordinating. Um I just, I just do not fathom how it's fourth and two. You don't even have a running back for a threat of the run. And then you don't have a hot route or you don't allow your quarterback to call an audible to get into a better set. This is like Chase said, this is middle school football. I would have these audibles for my middle school quarterback to be like, Hey, if they're bringing the house, uh, check out of it, change the play. No, just nod to your receiver and be like, Hey, run a hitch. Cause I'm just throwing it right away. Right. that's it's just so bad yeah one other point i wanted to bring up well chase mentioned uh shador was having a rough game and i brought this up in the group me but i want to bring it back up on the podcast is if shador sanders was not our quarterback i think we might win one game this year which is crazy i mean he's had to bail out this team so many times and go Brady mode. You saw in the ASU game, you saw in the CSU game and even the Stanford game. I mean, he had a phenomenal first half. Um, but man, if we did not have Shador and Travis, where would this team be at? And it just goes to show this defense and this offense has been struggling in multiple areas, right? Not just the secondary, not just the O line, not just the D line everywhere. Um, so I just wanted to raise that point as well. Yeah, I, I pointed that out in my in my essay that I wrote for uh, for Twitter this morning. 
Um, boy, oh boy. Without those guys, without the new roster in general, if this was last year's team and any coach, 0-6 would be the baseline assessment. 1-5 would be if somehow, you know, Jeff Sims still coughed up the ball four times unprompted and allowed Nebraska to just completely fall apart. You know, that would be, to me, that would be like a dispersed case. The 0 and, 0 and 6 would be the nominal. It's and, and the thing is, looking at our schedule now, TCU turned out to be all Saran. They're not very good. Um, CSU has not played that well. Nebraska has not played that well. So this really, and then obviously Oregon, USC, very good. Uh, ASU, Stanford, not good. So we, we the, the games that we've been in, that we've had the opportunity to win, most of them we have, other than this one yesterday. And the reality of the situation is the schedule turned out to not be so good, but that is how bad that team was last year and how bad that roster is. I don't think that they would have a single win right now uh, without, without that, that new roster specifically Shadur and Travis. So we should be, should be thankful for that. Um, But also it does speak to how much further this program has to go to dig itself out of the hole that it was in and to rid itself of the absolute stench of the last 17 years. And I understand curses and all this stuff, the the auras, whatnot, you know, that, that maybe it's somewhat overplayed. I think as a lot of sports fans, as a lot of former athletes, we can, we tend to be superstitious and we believe in stuff like that. But it seems awfully suspicious that one program with three completely different coaching staffs, three completely different rosters, spread out over the course of 13 years has been one of the only programs ever to blow multiple four touchdown leads. And we've done it three times. So there's something deep and dark within the soul of what this program is. I don't know what it is because it seems like this year there's a totally different aura and there's a totally different energy, but there's something deep down about the way that business is conducted here that needs to be fundamentally changed. And maybe it, it's going to take a, another recruiting class or two in order for us to feel that. Maybe that's what it is ultimately, even though they did replace most of the roster. It, it, was, a, it was a bunch of people who maybe were backups at, at other schools that, that were successful or maybe people that come that were elevating from the FCS level. And coming into the situation, maybe there's still some aura or some uh, energy of what it has been over the last 17 years. So it, bottom line is I don't think this is going to happen overnight. I think we we're all optimistic that it could, especially with how they played the first two weeks. But looking at what we have now, we might be in for a, a longer fight. And we shouldn't be overly surprised. Like the Stanford loss is devastating. But with how how poorly they played against ASU and how poorly they played against CSU in particular, which that one – that was the anti-Stanford game, right? Where we were getting dominated for a big portion of that game and then found a way at the end. This one we gave away. So this was almost like the the counterbalance to that. But based on the performances in those games, yeah, we, it was a very high probability we're not going to win another game this year. We're going to end up 4-8, and eight, and we're going to have to marinate on that in the offseason as, as recruiting hits. But it's, it's going to take a little, little bit more time, right? Everyone loves a worst of first story, but when we're talking about the hole that CU is in from a talent deficit 
And like I said, there's just something, there's something not being involved with the program. I can't speak to what it might be, but there's just something about CU football that we just need to rid the stench of, and it's going to take time. Yeah. And for what it's worth, at least on the bright side, it does feel like it makes it less likely that coach prime will be leaving this off season for a, a huge uh, paycheck. So, you know, it's going to take time, but we'll have that. So on, on Stratus is just absolutely uplifting note. We'll go ahead and transition into our Q wealth management player of the game, go to qwealthmanagement.com to learn more. Uh, this, this, this is a tough one, right? Because a lot of guys played really well, but we didn't get the win. So I think, on offense, we're going to go ahead and give it to X Weaver. He had three touchdowns in the first half, including a rushing touchdown, which is pretty pretty spectacular. 124 should've yards had, receiving. Should have had four. Should have had four. Had Shador <laughs> hit that long bomb. That's the other thing I want to criticize. Shador on his long bombs, he underthrows them a lot. Mm-hmm. Right? They're still accurate. They still get there. But if he can hit them in stride, that's an extra three or four touchdowns. He has He's just trying season. to get that 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 or that uh pass interference call, you know, the little <laughs> insurance, which he, he ended up you know eliciting a couple times. And uh, what just really quickly, I have to get this off my chest. The the referees failing to catch just blatant pass interference on a, oh my on a couple. God. I mean, horrible. Oh horrible. my god. Calling reviewing everything and and calling everything. Uh, but I digress because we're in the middle of our Q health management player of the game uh, <laughs> conversation. So offense X Weaver um, on defense. I'm going to just kind of unilaterally decide this one. I'm going to give it to the 12th man on the field. Um, you know, Texas A&M does very well with the 12th man, and apparently we wanted to mimic that. Um, but all jokes <laughs> aside, um, I think Heck we'll probably... no. The 12th <laughs> man on the field does not deserve that award. The students left at they, they won. No, 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 no. He, I'm talking about the literally 12th Literally the 12th guy. Oh, the 12th guy the that kept getting the, the penalties <laughs> called against Got us. it, got it. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I think we'll probably give it to Levanta Bentley. You know, he's quietly been playing really well. I think we've given him this entirely arbitrary made-up award at least, at least twice now. Um, and I mentioned this. I was like, our linebackers actually kind of positively surprised me. I think Trevor Woods could have been a candidate as well. Transitioning to linebacker from safety is a huge transition for one week, but – Levante Bentley, one and a half tackles for a loss, um, five solo tackles. He, he he played well. I don't think he was a liability like some of the other guys out there on defense. Um, and then our special teams player of the week, we're going to give it to Mark Vassett. Um, what, I mean, some incredible, you know, there, a lot of people could be blamed for that loss. Mark Vassett's Mark not Vassett. one of them. Uh, pinning them within the five-yard line twice, right? I think. At the um, one. At the, at the one. one at the in, end of the game. Including. Un- what a punt. And, and, and the three-yard line was the other one, right, which they obviously yeah. got the 97-yard touchdown. But that's not his fault, right? Like, <laughs> no. he – what a great punting performance by him. So, um, you know, it kind of sucks to have your your punter as one of your players of the game. But he got the job done. This game's not on him. Um, so he has that as well. Therese, do you want to queue up this question? Because you posed it in our group me, and I, I want to give you the credit here. What was that question you asked us? At the beginning of the podcast. Okay. We all know that the goalposts have moved constantly on this team and this season because of all the media hype. Thank you, Skip Bayless, right? Skip Bayless is one of the ringleaders of the CU is going to win the national championship type crowd (laughs) at the beginning of the season. Uh, So we got to thank him for that. Shout out Skip Bayless. (laughs) But it does bear repeating. Um, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people in person over the last couple of weeks. Is this season with four wins based on, I mean, I know we had our predictions before the season, but overall in terms of the trajectory of the program, if they go on and lose their final five games, 
similar to what happened in 2018 and ended up with Coach McIntyre getting fired, would the season still be considered a success? And I'll I'll answer last. I think I want to hear from Jake first because he has a strong opinion that I think could be uh, uh, opposing mine. Yeah, my answer is no. Um, you, you bring in the number one transfer portal class and there's so much talent on this team on paper. I, I truly believe that on paper and on the field, this team is very talented. The coaching staff that Coach Prime brought in on paper is really phenomenal. I know we just bashed them for this Stanford game. You know, I, I, also taking a step back, I really think Sean Lewis is one of the best offensive coordinators CU has seen in the last 10 years. Um, So if we stop the buck at four wins this year, I, I really think that's, that's a disappointment. Uh, failures a pretty aggressive word, but I, I think it's a disappointment. Um, I think also to play devil's advocate is see strength of schedule this year is insane. So that's another important thing to note, but with the amount of talent on the field, I think four wins is, is a failure. And I know they were one and 11 last year, but you cannot compare it to last year. We were preaching that going into the season, right? So you cannot use that as the benchmark. Yeah, I, I totally disagree. I think if I had told you December of last year, the Colorado Buffaloes would be four and three at this point that we would have beaten Nebraska, that we would have beaten Colorado state, that we would have been on college game day and big noon kickoff multiple times. And that the brand was relevant. I think we have to remember that Colorado football one year ago today was borderline dead. Like, I think there was a credible conversation to be had about, are they going to discontinue the football program? Right. The conference was falling apart our board of regents didn't care about football at all and thought it was actively hostile to the university's purpose. Right. And so I think it, it hurts. And I think it's very easy to, after losing to Stanford to be like that really hurt. And it does, it does hurt. Right. I think any chance of going to a bowl game at this point is pretty much gone and, and people can call us haters for that, but I think that's just realistic, right? You look at the schedule and that is a house of, I, I disagree. Like schedule. I disagree with that too. I, I think there's I, still a good shot. I just, I don't know, like Arizona is better than people think, right? We have to go to Pullman. We have to go to Salt Lake. So the, you know, Utah looks actually kind of vulnerable this year, right? So in my mind, I'm looking at the schedule and the only teams I think that we might have a chance against are against a UCLA team who has a much better defense than people realize, much better, very good defense. That, that team could have been really good if they'd actually had a quarterback figured out, right? And then we have Arizona at home, which is is probably a winnable game, right? Like I think, I think that's possible. Oregon State is going to be a tough draw, right? So regardless, right? Those are great teams. So it's not like we're going to be losing out to a bunch of horrible teams that we're playing, right? It's not like we're playing Cal six times or five times the rest of the season. So I just think if you look at where this team was and the amount of exposure and the amount of building the bricks, right? When you, when you do a program, I know like Sreyas had talked about, you want to flip overnight, right? It would be awesome. And maybe you can now, right? Maybe that's possible with the, with the transfer portal, but we're talking about if you're at USC and you already have the cabinets stacked, and then you bring in some really great guys like Caleb Williams, right? Like that's how you can turn into a national contender in one year. What you can't do is take a team where the cupboards were bare, right? Carl Durrell left nothing, nothing for coach prime to come into, right? Literally nothing. So to have to come in and we talked about this at the beginning of the season, we knew this going in, right? We knew that the lines were going to be the liability. And I really think that this team is a team that can compete if we had lines that were division one caliber and they're just not like uh, neither of our lines are division one caliber. So I think when you look at this, yeah, it's really disappointing. 
But if we lose the rest of the games, the rest of the season, it's going to hurt us in recruiting and that's going to suck. But if I'm coach prime, I'm going to any of the top offensive or defensive linemen in the country and saying, you can come get eyeballs on you. No doubt. Right. And you can start day one because holy God, are we weak at those positions? And I think that we're building up for next year, right? So if we lose out the rest of the season, am I going to be upset? No, we covered this season over at three and a half, right? The bets have been paid. We did, we, we played well. We beat the teams that we needed to beat, right? We beat Nebraska, we beat Colorado State. So I don't have to hear from either of those fan bases for at least one more year. Hard to be disappointed. I'm I'm happy. I'm content with the season. I'd love to see us win more. I'd love to go to the bowl game. Uh, we'll see you all there if we make it. But if we don't, it's all right. It was a great season. I need to add one counterpoint before Topher jumps in here. I think Coach Prime would be very disappointed if we didn't win out. I think he would call this no season doubt. A failure no, too. no one's no one's questioning that. Like Coach Prime expects. Like I think CU fans excellent. are kind of can be lost in in the in the loser mentality. I think I think this team is just really talented, and I I think four wins would be a disappointment. But Topher, where are you at? I'm very curious. Um. Do I consider the season a success for the reasons that Chase listed, the exposure, the growth, uh, the brand, the relevance? Yes. In the win-losses column, I don't consider this a success yet. And looking at the rest of our schedule, we have a gauntlet coming up. But we play UCLA. We're coming off a bye. They are not. I think that gives us a pretty good shot against them. We're playing Arizona at home. And Arizona went toe-to-toe with USC. And let us not remember, we went toe-to-toe with USC. We are every bit the team that USC is and every bit the team that Arizona is. Like Jake said, we have the talent to go and compete with anybody in this conference, minus in the lines, right? We can make plays. We, can, we need some things to uh, you know, bounce our way, but we should be in every single game. We should not have another Oregon outing. Um, so in the last five games, if we go 0-5, right? If we are competitive and we're only losing in one score games, I consider that a success, right? We need to be competing every single time. If we don't get blown out the rest of the season, I think it's a success. I think we can realistically take two, maybe three games out of the last five um, that we are facing. Um, and it'll take some things to fall into place. Um, but like where, Chase where, said, where are those two, three games? That you're where are those two, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Arizona, UC- UCLA, okay. Arizona, Oregon State. Oh, Oregon State. That's a hot take. I mean, Oregon State. So the big thing for me is how strong the Pac-12 turned out to be. That is so. My predictions before the season, when we when I predicted eight wins, very aggressively. I think I predicted more wins than all you guys. That was I did not have the same level of feeling that the Pac-12. I mean, we lost to Stanford, so that's devastating. We, I mean, Stanford is going to end up being bottom of the barrel in the Pac-12. And they have, yeah, that that was ugly. That was absolutely ugly. That's not a good, that is definitely a bad loss. There's no question about it. But in the bigger picture, the conference is extremely strong. Our non-conference turned out to be weaker than expected. So there's that. Um, But for the reasons that Topher and Chase said, the goalpost move really comes down to what are we doing to build the momentum to the future? None of us thought that this would be better than a mediocre to bad bowl team, right? Despite the, the, all the influx of talent. Um, and we're highly likely to come up just short. If we do, if we do manage to beat one of these ranked teams down the stretch, beat a UCLA or beat a Utah, I guess Utah's not ranked anymore. Um, 
But beat one of these. Utah's good, ranked. They're still ranked. Yeah, they're still ranked. Okay, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because they're ranked sixteenth. <laughs> okay, they've looked. Okay, you're right. You're right. Sorry, uh, but yeah, they, it's entirely possible that since Cam Rising's not going to come back, they might have a, a, a couple bad losses left in them down the stretch here. Uh, but nevertheless, with, with with all this talent, these talented teams down the stretch, it is going to be very difficult. It would be amazing to take a couple of those, but. The key to the real the real benchmark of success of the season is seeing how the recruiting class rounds out. And as of right now, it's still bare, right? It hasn't filled out by any means. We're still in the 60s, I believe, in the high 60s. So it's a very small recruiting class at the moment. And so we're gonna we're gonna have to fill that out with some super big talent. We're gonna have to fill those critical holes so that we're not dealing with uh being dominated at the line of scrimmage anymore. I think that's a more fair uh, measure of success. And the the reason I say that in particular is I remember back to Nick Saban's first season at Alabama. So that first season, I have it in front of me, Alabama lost at home to Louisiana Monroe. And that was part of a four-game losing streak for them to end the season six and six. Now, that's they went point. to the Independence Bowl. They went to the Independence Bowl and beat Dan Hawkins, Colorado Buffaloes, and they were up 24 to nothing at halftime before CU staged a big comeback and almost pulled it off at the end. Um, but that is that is the reality of how the Nick Saban era started. And, and Bill McCartney's point, era, too, started slow. The, Bill McCartney's first four years were slow. I mean, they had a 1-11 season in 1984, like several years in. I mean, in, in today's day and age, a 1-11 season three years in, that gets you fired. So that I remember, I do remember that that came up quite a bit when they were talking about firing Embry. Uh, McCartney was very against Embry's firing for that reason. He said, Oh, they never gave him a chance. So, I mean, that Embry, that Embry 2012 team was arguably the worst team I've ever seen. And I've seen the 2022 team. So 2022 uh, teams worse. It's, I mean, the, the 2022 team just didn't play the week schedule that the 2012 team did to see how bad they really were, right? Because the 2012 team lost to Sacramento State, and they also were down 55 to seven against Fresno at half. So, anyways, I'm kind of diverging from the point. The greater the greater value here is sometimes it starts slow, and in in this transfer portal era, everyone was willing to complete. And uh, we're I was guilty of it. I'll admit it of saying, see, this is the transfer portal era. You can flip a roster immediately and then suddenly be great. And that's, I saw a lot of people say that as a criticism to Colorado. Now we're starting to see maybe that's not entirely true, right? So USC, when they flipped their roster and got uh, got better, it's not like USC was ever barren of talent. USC always gets the four or five-star guys. That's just – it's just – it's it's how they how they've operated, you know. Keyshawn Johnson said recently that he was getting paid, <laughs> so maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe the whole Reggie Bush thing has you know some merit, but nevertheless, they always have some talent. There's no question about it. And then the the extra pieces that they added when Lincoln Riley came over and brought uh, Caleb Williams from Oklahoma. My, that's that's an absolute. And then you know obviously the the other transfers like Jordan Addison last year and then Brendan Rice. So that makes a big difference. So CU definitely has those skill position guys. We have awesome skill position guys. I love X Weaver. Love Travis Hunter. Despite whatever uh, Alec 
Io Menorah did to him yesterday. Sorry, I said his name wrong earlier. Um, and uh, uh, th- we have we have a ton of talent, um, but from top to bottom, you really do need a really good roster. And I think even before the season, Urban Meyer said after his visit, he said, "Yeah, these guys have some talent, but they don't have much depth." And I think maybe we saw some of that play out. Um, anyways, but as far as the the success criteria, um, if we finish the season four and eight which I think is a likely outcome, but we still manage to continue having recruiting momentum. And we go into, we go into the big 12 feeling more optimistic about filling the holes that were needed to take a big step up next year. Then I'm, I'm willing to call it a success. Yeah. And I, I, that's just one other thing I wanted to touch on is that I think this season's probably going to be very emblematic of our entire experience of the PAC 12. Whereas you know, there's, there's, you could see the potential and occasionally there was, there's some high notes, but ultimately pretty disappointing that for me, that characterizes our entire PAC 12 experience. It is sad, right? Like I think right now we can look at the, at the conference and go, this conference has seven ranked teams that are all very good teams. And frankly is probably the best conference in totality in college football right now. And it is sad that this conference is going to die because what a way to go out. I mean, what a, what a great conference, but I think, you know, as a Colorado fan exclusively, right, we're we're leaving this conference behind where there's just not been a lot of success and it's been kind of punishing. But we're moving on to the Big 12 where I think we're going to be ready to, to hit the ground running and be ready to come back with a vengeance. And frankly, I think we can be day one, one of the best, you know, top three, top four teams in the Big 12 and carry that momentum as long as Coach Prime stays in, in Boulder. So pretty exciting. And I, that's why I think like it's hard to just be super bummed out and down about this team, regardless of what the outcome is. And I, and I agree, you know, with everyone else where maybe we'll steal one or two more. I'd love if we stole two more and, and made a bowl game. That'd be a great way to end the season. But overall you got to remember, like it, it, this is such a hard job that, that coach prime took. And he knew when he went into it, right. What he was getting himself into, but it's not like USC was right. It's just not the same flip. You're not, it's it, miles different for, for a bunch of different reasons. And so I think, I'm I'm optimistic about our future, and I understand that this is probably a little bit of a letdown. Um, but overall, I, I I think there's going to be some bright spots on the horizon, and it's okay if we if we end up not picking up another win the rest of the season. In my mind, um, a place where I will be incredibly disappointed if we do not have the expectations in the season that we're looking for would be college hoops, and I think you guys would agree with me. Sreyas, you were at the scrimmage. Do you want to talk a little bit about? you know, what really, that was like and, and what re- the team looks like really quick before we transition. I think we all can agree that the f- uh, future of CU football is bright. I just wanted to add that Antoine Hill jr. Was a visitor at that game. He's a top five quarterback in the 2025 class Both him and Bryce Underwood, the number one quarterback in the 2025 class visited CU. So really bright future ahead. I'm really bummed that Antoine saw a loss to that Stanford team. Um, but yeah, transitioning. Maybe he left years. at halftime. Maybe he did leave at halftime. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe he went out to the downer at halftime. <laughs> I will uh, say, if we had won in overtime, we 1,000% would have rushed. 1,000% would have rushed. Die. Wait, there weren't, there weren't that many students left. There weren't that many students left. Really quick, before we go into the scrimmage, because, uh, yes, Reyes, want to hear your thoughts. Also, big news for basketball. They landed a four-star combo guard. Andrew Crawford out of Thunder Ridge, um, go Douglas County Schools. I think all of us are all Douglas County. Um, So that's a great pickup. Uh, Just looking at his offer list, there wasn't any 
any huge schools that really just jumped off the page. His offers from CU, CSU, DU, Stanford, UNC, Topher, uh, Northwestern, uh, and a couple other small schools. So we'll have to see. Maybe he's a hidden gem just because he's in Colorado. We'll have to see how, how it pans out there. But he's 6'6", um, combo guard. So that's some exciting news. But Sreyas, I'll pass it on to you. Uh, Sreyas was able to see the scrimmage, so let's hear your thoughts. Speaking of hidden gems, Bangot Dak. Oh, my goodness. I was – I had, honestly, I saw him out there. I didn't. I didn't even recognize him. Uh, I forgot that he was a late signing and, and he came on the team. So we had the roster up and we were looking and my goodness, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. He can, he can shoot a little bit. Um, he can post up a little bit. He has great energy. He's a great rebounder. He's a pretty good defender. I was, I was like super surprised and they have him listed at six, nine. Um, and Joel Herb, Joe, uh, Joe Herbert is listed at six eleven, and Bangot looks taller than Joel Herbert, uh, Herbert. So that was maybe he, maybe he had a growth spurt or something, but boy, that was my biggest takeaway. So the other stuff, they looked sluggish. And I think Tad Boyle, I did post a clip yesterday on, on our Twitter account about what Tad said at the end of the scrimmage. It's like, yeah, I know this looked, I know this looked ugly, but we're, we're trying to figure it out. We're getting it going. And they did start playing, with a lot more fluidity uh, in the second half of the scrimmage. So the offense was finally starting to get dialed in. KJ finally started hitting some jumpers. That's huge. We're going to really need that. Uh, Luke O'Brien, great energy, and he was hitting some some outside shots as well. Um, so certainly you can't make any final takeaways from what that team is going to look like based on that. And certainly can't draw any conclusions one way or the other, one way or the other about how Cody Williams is going to take over necessarily just from that performance. But one thing is clear is Bangot Dak. He is, he's someone that's eventually going to get some serious playing time and he's going to be central to the team. So that's, that was very exciting uh, to, to get to see the rise of, of someone completely unexpected like that. And let's not forget he came from Lincoln. If I remember correctly, right. He's a Lincoln, Nebraska guy. Yeah. So yet another, <laughs> Maybe the best thing to come out of Lincoln, at least this year, other than a volleyball team. So that's that's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, we, we won't talk about Ralphie Six. I think she's from Nebraska too. <laughs> that's, that's not on our agenda today. We're, we're, we'll have to give her the benefit of the doubt. And I think it's, it's <laughs> but, worth mentioning uh, just very quickly. You talked about Cody Williams. People need to remember that Cody Williams is, by all accounts, a pretty raw, high ceiling prospect kind of guy. So. You know, it, it might be a little bit before he like truly starts taking over. You could see the the potential. Right? I think you posted on X the the uh, dunk that he had, right? Or um, and so, I mean, you can you can see it, right? The the natural talent is is so there. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if people are going to be a little underwhelmed, you know, in the in the pre uh, Pac twelve schedule before he really hits the ground running. Uh, so worth worth mentioning that you know the 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 upside is is so crazy with his team, and frankly. If this team, and I'll, I'll just say it now, and we'll we'll talk more about college basketball when the football season kind of winds down, but I think everyone here will agree with me that if this team doesn't make the dance, it would be a huge disappointment. And how cool would it be if our, in our first season in the Pac-12, we win the, the championship game, and then in the last season on our way out, we did it as well. This is a team that could do that, and I don't care what people say. I know we were ranked like fifth or something in the Pac-12 this season. Uh, 
BS. That's garbage. This is a team that has veteran leaders with phenomenal young guys on the team. And if they can gel and get it together and not have the classic tad ball losses that seem to always plague us every year, this team can be really special. And I'm going to be on, on Jake's train this year. Normally I'm like a, you know, we have to keep our expectations low. This is Colorado basketball after all. This team needs to win. Like this is Let's the time go. now. This Let's is the time now. The team is ready. The, the the facilities are there. The talent is there. The coaching is there. Like now is the time to win. And this team needs to get the job done. Yeah. Uh, and But the one thing that does worry me is how weak their non-conference schedule is. And normally you'd say, oh, weak non-conference schedule means you get a lot of wins, but it also makes your tournament resume pretty weak. So what few, I think they have Miami scheduled in a tournament. CSU might be pretty good. Those are those are going to turn into must wins because the rest of your schedule is filled out with Tozens and other random. I don't even know how to say it. Is it Towson? Is it Tosin? I, honestly, I don't know. So, <laughs> so you have a bunch of uh, real uh, like mid-major type teams on your schedule. Pepperdines, that type of thing. So if you don't absolutely dominate your non-conference, then it becomes an uphill battle. That's one thing I'm worried about. And please beat Grambling. Please beat Grambling. I think we no, lost, we, we dropped the game to them last year, right? Yeah, we did. Got to beat Grambling. That was crazy because we lost to Grambling and then went to went to Tennessee, played Tennessee in a neutral site, and and beat them. Which what a what a what a Jekyll and Hyde team that was last year. That was that was wild. Oh, shit. Buff and I, absolute buff shit. I do just want to mention those Reyes. I think, you know, we have the week out of conference schedule. If we can take care of it and then get some, I mean, the PAC 12 has so many talented teams this year in, in football and basketball, right. In basketball where if we handle our conference schedule and, and play well, we should be able to, to get into the dance. I don't know where we'll be seated. It depends. I mean, we're gonna have to have some big wins, right. But there's so much talent in the PAC 12 this year in, in college hoops that I think we're going to be okay one way or another. And then, you know, this is, it's not going to get any easier, right? Because the Big 12 is going to be the conference of college basketball, especially if there, there's been some more rumors about Gonzaga joining as a basketball only member, right? So, you know, it's it's not like it's going to get easier for for the Buffaloes in basketball. So now's the time to hit while the iron's hot and uh, get our get our feet under us for a, a much harder conference moving forward. Yep. And at the end of the day, I think I, I'll, I'll echo what you said. I think we all expect that this is attorney team. This has to be attorney team. And if it's not... Uh, there's definitely going to be some questions moving forward. This has to be an at least one win tourney team, but I'll get into it in our basketball preview. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> well, everyone, uh, thank you for listening. If you've gotten to this point, uh, make sure you leave a like and review. Um, it does help other people find our podcast so that we can bring this great contact. Tell all your other Buffs fans to check us out. We do appreciate the listeners and then give us feedback for what we uh, can get. We will have an episode next week. We'll probably do a little bit of a basketball preview, talk about a little bit of college football, um, and then just, you know, assess where the buffs are moving forward. With that, I just uh, bid the adieu. Go buffs. Go buffs. Go buffs forever.